Creekside Church. We are excited to see everyone this morning. Uh, for, for kids who are participating in our Christmas program, you guys are dismissed. Uh, head to the back. Look for your teachers back there. And uh, you guys have a little extra practice time. So speaking of the Christmas program, just want to remind everyone that that is next week. So you want to be here be in your seats early, invite friends, family, neighbors, and that's going to you know, start pretty close to, to 10.30. So we are looking forward to that next week. Our kids have been practicing hard and are excited to, uh, to share what they have for us. So you know, again, as I said, we're, we're glad to have everyone here. If you're a visitor, make sure you stop by our welcome table uh, after the service. Introduce yourself. Also inside of the bulletin, there's a little get to know us card that you can uh, feel free to drop into the offering towards the end. So let's go ahead and stand as we uh, sing together. For this time of year and the opportunities we have to uh, pause to reflect on uh, the birth of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Help us to come and adore you and to worship you and to honor you. We pray for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And Lord, I don't know, there must be some reason why the enemy uh, wants to keep us from meditating on the truths of your goodness and grace and mercy. Help us to press ahead for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I don't usually dress like this, okay? So forgive me, but there was just a slight accident before I came up here. Uh, a little bit of extra fluid flew around into my area, and so I didn't have a chance to uh, change uh, appropriately, so might as well call it out before you're sitting there looking, oh, look, he's got stuff all over his sweater there. I wonder what that's about. 
So uh, uh, that's just a small explanation. So aside from getting dumped on before I got up here and uh, the sound thing, we're going to try to uh, we're going to try to go on with this. Okay. I remember one of my uh, least favorite classes in college. It was actually a requirement for our liberal arts education, and I think I've mentioned it before, it was called Exploring Music, and it was affectionately known at the University of Northern Iowa as Exploring Boring. And the reason it was called, it was supposed to intended to enlighten our understanding and uh, deepen our appreciation of classical music. Now the problem was the ineptitude of our professor and some people's predisposition against the topic made it almost impossible for us to actually come to a deeper understanding and appreciation of classical music. We came every Friday and we had to take a test and in this test our bedheaded professor would drop the needle on the vinyl record and we were supposed to listen for a few moments and then identify who the composer was based upon the movements of the music. The roar in the auditorium of about 300 students was so loud from people cheating, uh, talking to each other, trying to identify the composer that it was really hard to hear. But that wasn't the reason that I got the worst grade in college in exploring music. It was because I'm musically inept. This morning, as we consider the second Christmas carol from Scripture, it is my prayer that we won't dismiss our instructor Mary as inept, and that we will not be predisposed against the subject matter of the incarnation and God's mercy revealed in it, so that we will fail to learn the lessons that God has for us in this beautiful passage of Scripture. Now, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 46 through 56, Mary's song of praise which teaches us three important lessons regarding the mercy of God, God's mercy in our lives. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll unpack these three lessons that I think Mary teaches us here. First of all, we come to verse 46, and Mary said, and Mary said in response to Elizabeth's exaltation of Mary, blessed are you among women for you, or the one, she says in verse 48, verse 45, I'm sorry, who believed that there would be the fulfillment of what God has said to you. So, and Mary said in response to this, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and, and, the whole, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. The first lesson that I see Mary teaching us from the passage is that we're given the route, the pathway to acknowledge the mercy of God. Mary points the way to the possibility and the proper expression of praise with three different phrases in verses 46 and 47. Verses 46 and 47 are what the grammarians call synonymous parallelism so that the word of the phrase that starts in verse 46 and the word in the phrase that starts in verse 47 the first verse and the second verse each word or phrase corresponds to that in the second and basically means the same thing to emphasize what is being said first of all we we learn the proper origin of praise my soul My spirit, she says, referring, as the New International Dictionary of the New Testament says, to that dimension of the whole man wherein and whereby he or she is most immediately open and responsive to God. Uh, My take on it is it's our innermost being. It is the immaterial part of who we are, our soul, our spirit, that which connects with God. And here we see the origin of her praise, the origin of any genuine praise, comes from our soul, comes from the innermost being of who we are. Mary's response to Elizabeth's confirmation that Mary would indeed give birth to the Messiah was at a gut level. It was a a spiritual reality for her. And I would contend that any real worship is at a gut level, is at the spiritual essence of who we are as as human beings. Secondly, we learn the proper outpouring of praise. My soul exalts, my spirit has rejoiced. Exaltation and rejoicing, she, she exalts, there is exaltation and there is celebration. Of God. Exalts literally means magnified. If you're reading the ESV, it says, My soul magnifies the Lord. It's magnification. The microscope magnifies microbes. I think we have a, a picture of a microscope magnifying some microbes. Do we have that picture, Chad? Yeah, there you go. The stuff you cannot see is blown up. Some of us have reading glasses which magnify the words on the page. True praise magnifies God. You thought about that? When we praise God, we're magnifying Him for His character and or His conduct. And here, the magnification of God's character and conduct is primarily with reference to His mercy. His mercy towards her. Specifically, we see that, uh, there, that, that there's this exaltation, this celebration, and the word rejoice indicates joy. So she's magnifying with joy God. That's what she's doing. 
God my Savior. Thirdly, we learn the proper object of praise, the Lord and God my Savior. Notice the end of those phrases in verse 46 and 47. My soul exalts in the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. God my Savior. It's God. She rejoices in the marvelous mercy that God has shown to her. And this comes as a result of her her intimate relationship and knowledge with God. In these verses, in verses 46 to 56, some commentators say there are 12, some say up to 19 different references to the Old Testament. This is a woman whose prayer of praise and exaltation is just oozing with her understanding and her knowledge of God and is because she understood that God cares and is merciful to her. Specifically, she recognized God's mercy in sending her a Savior. Isn't it interesting? Notice it says, I want you to read it. Verse 46, it says, verse 47, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. Now, oftentimes the Protestants kind of diminish the the Catholics' reverence of of, of Mary. And she is to be honored. She is to be blessed. She is blessed. But she's also human. She needs a Savior, just like we need a Savior. And the marvelous thing is she recognized that she needed a Savior, and God had sent her a Savior who was the Son in her womb. That's why she recognized the mercy. And I would say that a recognition of God's mercy in sending a son, and only our recognition of God's mercy in sending a son, will result in our genuine exaltation and our genuine celebration of who God is, not only at Christmas, but at all times. I remember preparing for my uh, final paper in Hebrew exegesis of uh, uh, Hebrew exegesis or Old Testament history in, in Hebrew and I went to Dr. Knife and I was like I had two different papers in seminary due at the same time and these are like 25 or 30 page research papers that had to be footnoted and all this Turabian style of garbage that nobody does anymore because they don't know how to do it and you have to footnote everything and so I went to him and I just said Dr. Knife I said I'm just like swamped I don't think I have time to type my paper. Now, this is back in the old days, folks. We didn't have computers, and so you had to, ha- you had to type it. And I wasn't the world's fastest typer. And you didn't have the thing that would automatically footnote it in the right style just if you typed it in. You had to actually leave room at the bottom of the page to put the footnotes in, blah, 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 blah. And I was not very adept. And I just thought, this is going to take me so much time. Just to write the paper took enough time. And he, came, he looked me out and he says, Steve, Steve, Steve. He says, we all have so many fires to put out. Don't you worry about it. Just write it so I can read it. His mercy. I, I didn't deserve that. His mercy causes me even now to exult and rejoice in what he did for me. Mary says, I rejoice and I exult in God my Savior. I wonder if you see yourself this morning like Mary saw herself as undeserving and unworthy 
of God's mercy do I see myself that? We are unworthy rebels in our hearts for whom Christ died so that we might live. He came as a babe so that he would die on a cross. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do you, do you recognize his mercy in coming to this earth as a babe in a manger so that he would grow up and die on a cross, giving you the opportunity and me the opportunity to trust in him, to be forgiven of our sins so that we might have true life in him. It's not anything we deserve. And that we would receive that mercy, we'd repent of our sins, we would receive that mercy, and then we would rejoice in what God has done for us. Are you here this morning, and maybe you're a believer, but you've kind of lost sight of why you even come? Lost sight of the mercy of God that you are so undeserving of what God has done, and you are challenged to reflect upon our own corruption so that we might more fully appreciate His compassion. We get cold and hard-hearted. Rejoice, that's what we're here for. I wonder, what does my soul enlarge? What does my soul rejoice in at Christmas time? What does your soul enlarge? What does your spirit rejoice in? Well, I hope when I get that new, uh, new coat, or I hope I, know I get that new uh, whatever, iPhone, or I hope I get my new iPad, I hope I get this new game, or just being together as family, or a promotion or a bonus at work. Maybe it's that I'll get to play more or I'll be recognized and be a celebrity. I don't know what it is. Those aren't necessarily bad things. But I hope and I pray that my soul exalts and my, my spirit rejoices in what God has done for me. As somebody who doesn't deserve to be called into his family as one of his children. To the, the degree to which I elevate, the degree to which you elevate, to the degree to which we celebrate, God's mercy is directly proportional to the degree to which we understand we need a Savior. If I don't need delivered, then it's no big deal that God gave me what I don't deserve. And that He didn't give me what I do deserve. I deserve judgment. And God in His mercy provides us grace. That's the beauty of Christmas. Our Savior at Christmas. It's only possible to properly worship God when we are rightly related to Him. You see also in Mary's words, exalt and rejoice, not just an indication of her intimacy with God, but her intensity in worship. Why? Because it meant something to her that God would think so much that He would bless her. And so she sang out, I wonder, this Christmas season, when you sing the Christmas carols, will you really exult with intensity? Will you really rejoice with sincerity? When you speak about Jesus to your neighbors and your co-workers, will you take a stand at school and be bold in rejoicing. That's what Mary was. She exulted and she rejoiced. Vivid expressions. We're given this route, this pathway to acknowledge. And secondly, we're 
given the reasons to appreciate God's mercy. In verses 48 through 55, there are basically two overarching reasons for rejoicing in God. They have to do with His mercy. The first few verses in verses 48 through uh, 48 and 55, verses 48 and 49, we see it's because of his, our personal experience of His mercy. That's what Mary talks about, her personal experience. And then in verses 50 through 55, she talks about these experience generally. So we're going to talk about, first of all, our powerful experience of God's mercy personally. And you notice the word for in verse 48, and it's twice there. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. For behold, from this time on, generations shall count him blessed. And then verse 49, for the mighty one. So these are three reasons that prompted praise that reveal God's mercy to her and then also to us personally. Four, four, four. That's the reasons. Four, four, four. The big reason is because of its experience personally. Then these three indications that it's personal. And the first one is for he he has regard or looked upon, as the ESV says, comes from the root word to see. And it doesn't just mean that God saw it, but that he did something about it. He has had regard for my state. It's to pay attention to to accomplish an action on behalf of the other person. There's a, there's a lady several years ago. She was in New York City, walking around New York City, and she fell on the sidewalk and broke her leg. And she laid on the sidewalk with a broken leg, screaming and crying out for help. Ten minutes passed. Twenty minutes passed. 30 minutes passed. People walked around her. People walked over her. People drove right by her on the busy street. 40 minutes later, a cabbie pulled up, got out of his cab, went over, got the lady, put her in his cab, and drove her to the hospital. That's what it means to have regard for. Mary says, He has had regard, for he has had regard for my humble state, the humble state of his bondservant. Mary says, God regarded me, my humble state. She considered herself a slave, notice, a bond slave. She was the quintessential Cinderella. She had no social status. She had no social recognition, but God took notice of her. He understood. He took notice. He chose her. That she would get pregnant. That she would bear a son. That she would bear the son who would be her savior and the savior of the world. And she said, wow, I don't deserve any of this. And that's why she sang. Because she got what she didn't deserve. She didn't get what she did deserve. She got God's goodness. And our lives kind of parallel Mary, I think. Her experience of mercy. Because God regards our humble estate in sending us a Savior. Because He knows we can't save ourselves. There's none righteous, no, not one, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. There's no one who seeks after God. Think about Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 26, he says, uh, Paul says that God did not choose, uh, you know, think about your calling, brethren. God did not choose many wise among you. 
Did he? God did not choose many who were mighty among you. God did not choose many who were noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world that he might shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of the world that he might shame the things of power and the despised and the base things of the world. God has chosen that which is not that he might nullify the things that are that no one should boast before him. I don't know about you, but I mean, I prayed this morning. I'm thinking, Lord, I have to get up and talk about you to these people. And who am I? Who are you? Who are we that the God of the universe would send his son and provide a way that we could be redeemed and brought into right relationship with him? And Mary says, that's what caused me praise. Read Ephesians chapter 2. You were alienated and objects of God's wrath, but God being rich in mercy. That's verses 3 and 4. Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Look at Isaiah Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says that, uh, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We don't deserve it. If you've never received God's mercy, I invite you to trust in what Christ has done on the cross as a payment for your sin. And if you have received God's mercy, I invite you to reflect upon what God has done in His mercy and you would rejoice and celebrate. Then he says in verse 48, the second part of the verse, For behold, from this time on all generations shall count me blessed. She's blessed because she alone was favored to bear the Savior of the world. Let's don't take that away from her. But you know what? Every one of us is blessed if we receive that Savior just like she did. Personally, we can't bear the child, but we can receive the child just like she had to receive the child. And then verse 49, for the mighty one, this is the final causal phrase which indicates the cause for her praise, and it sums it all up. Great things for me, God has done. She says, great things God has done for me. Well, the greatest thing she's thinking about is the virgin birth. That's the greatest thing that God has done for her. And it's not a joke. It's not like some guy sitting in a, in a doctor's office and waiting to go in to see the doctor and some elderly lady comes out white as a sheet and all distraught and the guy goes into the doctor's office, the same doctor, and says, wow, what was wrong with her? And he says, oh, she's 74 years old, and I told her she was pregnant. And he goes, she is? He says, no, she's not pregnant, but it'll take her mind off of her arthritis for a while. God is not joking with Elizabeth or Mary. Think about some of the great things that God has done for us through this person, Jesus. If you're here and you're trusting in Jesus, or even if you're not, God provides us with pardon. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He provides us with pardon. We deserve punishment. I don't know, but every week I'm reminded of how wretched that I am, how, how, how much I like sinning. It comes so naturally. 
and how much God has saved me from. But God has done great things and he's provided us with pardon. He's provided us with peace. We can be at peace with God when we deserve his judgment and his wrath. We deserve his wrath, but no, he provides us with mercy. We deserve his, we have peace with God in that sense that we're reconciled to him, but we also have peace with God in the sense that we continue in with him. In John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. He provides us with pardon. He provides us with peace. He provides us with purpose. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, Glorify God in your body. What are you here for? Why are you on planet earth? Why am I on planet earth? To bring God glory. He provides us with pardon. He provides us with peace. He provides us with purpose. He provides us with power. Over sin and death. Power to share and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He provides us with position. I'm no longer, by virtue of my union with Christ, somebody who deserves to go to hell. But in Ephesians chapter 2, he says he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. That's my position. I'm with Christ. If you're in Christ, you're with Christ. And he provides us with prosperity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through Wow. That's pretty good stuff, I think. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus. And then she says something, Mary does, at the end of verse 49 that just kind of throws me for a loop. And holy is his name. We say, well, that's God stuff. Yeah, I understand. It's, it's appropriate. It's accurate. It's true. But why there? I think she wants to remind us of God's mercy by pointing to God's holiness. By pointing to God's holiness. What do I mean by that? Do we, what do we deserve? We deserve God's God's holiness demands justice against our wickedness. Our wickedness deserves punishment. But what does God give instead of punishment to those who trust Him? He gives us forgiveness. And so she says, holy is His name. When I think about His holiness, it reminds me of my wickedness. When I think about my wickedness, it reminds me of His justice. When I think of His justice, I think of His mercy, and His mercy is free, given to those who don't deserve it. And so she says, holy is His name. By sending Jesus to purchase our pardon, He does not give us what we deserve. That's mercy. Not getting what we deserve. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. At Calvary. Secondly, we see the reason for rejoicing is because of our profound expectation of God's mercy. That's verses 50 through 55. Notice it says in verse 50, And his mercy is upon generation after generation of those who fear him. Now, mercy 
here is, is not an emotion of compassion aroused by contact with our affliction merely, but it results in action. And what is being said here is, I think, is that God's mercy is upon those who fear Him on and on and on and on. This is His past mercy, His present mercy, His future mercy. His mercy is upon. That's a present continuous tense. So that every generation from the past and every generation now and every generation in the future will experience God's mercy, those who fear Him. That's reason to rejoice because we are the recipients of His mercy. It's a present tense thing. Mary quotes Psalm 103, verse 17 here. This is a direct quote. Reveals that God's people should expect to experience God's mercy. We expect it, if we fear Him, that we should get His mercy on us. Not because we deserve it. Again, that's mercy is not deserved. Verses 51 through 55 are just the examples of the ways in which God demonstrates that mercy. We see in verses 51 and 52 that God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. If we're living a humble lifestyle, then God... Now, again, all these promises and all these statements are partially and not fully fulfilled this side of glory. So it doesn't mean every, every proud sinner is going to be brought low. It doesn't mean every humble, righteous person is going to be automatically exalted. But generally, that's true. And then he goes on. I mean, I think, think of Pharaoh versus David. The proud and the humble. You know, reverse. Think of Charles Rangel and Ben Carson, you know, if you will. You know, I mean, it's just, I'm not picking on anybody here, okay? So, secondly, God provides for the hungry and leaves the rich empty. That's verse 53. Thirdly, God proves, proves faithful to his covenant, verses 54 and 55. I find it interesting that, he clo- that Mary closes this by saying God's faithful to his covenant, people. The promises that he gave to Abraham, guess what? The mercy of God has continued through generation of generation. Why? Because he's preserved a remnant of those who believe. A remnant of those who believe that would lead up to the birth of the Messiah that would provide a salvation for you and me. That's the new covenant. All the promises in Genesis 12, Genesis 17, Genesis 22, given to Abraham and his descendants, have been at least partially fulfilled and kept so that it would culminate in the birth of this Messiah and would be perpetuated for all those after the Messiah to enter into the family. It's family stuff. It's interesting there in verse 54, he has given help to Israel, his servant. The word servant translated there actually is almost always translated child. It's to stress the familial relationship. His people, the people he loves. God is faithful to the people that he loves. Mary realized that God's past preserving activity was presently being realized through the nativity. And that it would continue to be realized in perpetuity until Christ returns. That he's faithful to generation after generation of those who fear him. And you know what? Providing a way for us. To be saved. That we too would enjoy the feeling when we're empty. That we would understand what it means to have the the blessings of God. That we would know what it is to be raised when we're humble. Finally, we are given 
the response to affirming God's mercy. Verse 56 is kind of an, like, what do you do with that? It's like, it's the end. Well, she was there three months. Okay. Whoop-de-doo. Mary had recognized mercy, received mercy. She had rejoiced in mercy. She had reminded herself of God's mercy. And then she responded to God's mercy. That's how I see verse 56. Because what, is Mary, what do you look like if you've been pregnant for three months? Kind of hard to hide it now. Or it's getting hard to hide it now. And she goes back. Where? Home. Where? Nazareth. To whom? Her fiancé. Her fiancé's family. Everybody in town that knows everybody in town. And Mary's been gone for three months. And now she comes back. Whoa. Now the rumor mill starts. What's going on with this chick? We better get the rope. But in humble, faithful obedience, Mary says, I am blessed of the Lord. I have received His mercy. Now I will walk in obedience to Him. I wonder if that's true for you and me. We've received His mercy. We've rejoiced in His mercy. We've been reminded of His mercy. Now will we respond in faithful obedience to the mercy that we have received rejoiced in and responded and take a stand for Jesus at Christmas time my musical ineptitude prevailed in exploring music and I got the lowest grade of my college career I did learn to appreciate classical music despite the professor but our little exercise this morning in Mary's song of praise I hope is not wasted It's not exploring, boring for you. But that we can recognize that God has provided a route to acknowledge His mercy. That there is reason to appreciate God's mercy. And that we would respond appropriately to God's mercy. Because those, apart from Jesus, all that we have said is merely mystery to them. I want you to listen to this poem. Suppose that Christ had not been born that far away Judean morn. Suppose that God, whose mighty hand created worlds, had never planned a way for man to be redeemed. Suppose the wise men only deemed that guiding star whose light still glows down through the centuries. Suppose Christ never walked here in men's sight our blessed way, the truth, the light. Suppose he counted all the cost and never cared that we were lost and never died for you and me, nor shed his blood on Calvary upon a shameful cross. Suppose that having died, he never rose and there was none with power to save our souls from death beyond the grave. As far as all the lost do know, these things that I've supposed are so. But all the things that he supposed are so, are not so. Because God did send his son, the light, the truth, the way. To light the way for you and me that we might know the Redeemer who lives. That we would receive his mercy. And I hope and I pray that you are here this morning as one who has received his mercy. 
and not just supposed these things are true, but understood the reality of what they mean. And if you're here this morning and you haven't received his mercy, I ask you to turn from your sin and trust in this Jesus who came as a babe in the womb of a mother named Mary to provide her salvation as well as ours. And if you're here this morning and you know this Jesus, then hey, let's start rejoicing like we, uh, we believe it. The cradle of Bethlehem highlights the mercy of the cross. We come this morning to take these elements as a remembrance of what Christ did on the cross when he came through as a babe in the manger. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my prayer is that you will take a few moments, search your heart, confess your sin. You see, reflecting upon God's mercy is not a pity party, it's a praise party. And then you will come and take these elements as they're broken, remembering the body and the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, take these uh, thoughts from Mary and drive them home to our hearts that we might rejoice in the mercy of God this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just take a moment to remember what Jesus has done for us. As Steve said, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us this morning. Take the bread and the cup. And